0: The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
1: It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show, brought to you by The Athletic UK. And today we're going to be discussing Fulham's triumphant visit up to Teesside as we came away from the Riverside Stadium with a massive 1-0 win. We already knew that promotion was pretty much in the bag, but surely now the title is getting closer after Bournemouth dropped yet more points, an 11-point gap at the top of the championship dreamy days to be a supporter of Fulham Football Club we'll look over that we'll discuss Fabio Carvalho who looks to be on his way to Liverpool and also there'll be a small brief this will catch on at the end as ever and we're looking ahead to sunday's game against coventry which is the day of our fulhamish live podcast recording at the half moon in putney cannot wait for that and joining me it's the regular thursday club jack collins hello hello listeners how are we doing fine thank you and peter rutzler who i accosted on the train this morning from middlesbrough to darlington i think he wanted to get on with trying to file an article but i was uh, badgering him for a natter how are you doing
0: twice in one day it's too much for me sammy too much for me. <laughs> i need
1: to recover i completely appreciate where you're coming from peter <laughs> he, he was just like that we had to do a change at darlington and he was like yeah, no, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to slink off and uh, and and do some writing for the um, for the journey from Darlington to London. I was like, no, you don't. You just don't want to chat to me for three hours. So that's. Uh, but I totally understood. Well, he knew he'd have to chat to you later as well. So be like, this is just too much chatting with Sammy
2: for using yeah. up all my Sammy reserves. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> By the end of like the second hour, I'd just be playing him random songs. Like, what do you think <laughs> of this chant, Peter? <laughs> this one could catch on, couldn't it? <laughs> Um, Jack, uh, before we do three word reviews, I-, I meant to say this on a recent podcast, but I forgot. The rules have changed regarding the horn. Any win between now and the end of the season is now horn worthy. So, what after last night, all aboard. I've lost the horn. <laughs> <laughs> no way. All aboard. <laughs> Classic Horn today after a brilliant win last night. The whites are going up. Are you okay with the rules changing? I just feel like three wins in a row, is was getting messy and difficult. Like I just, just feel like, Sammy, at this point, Fulham need two wins to go
2: up full stop. And that's if everyone wins every game towards the end of the season. I think it's just probably okay, mate. You'll be all right.
1: All right. I know people got annoyed with me earlier in the season when I played Yeah, the if Horn we lose bit- to Coventry
2: at home now, I'm going to be angry. But alas, you know, you've, you, you've brought that upon yourself. So you, you've got to take the consequences with your own actions.
1: Okay. I, uh, I accept responsibility in advance. Jack, what were the best three word reviews that came in?
2: Yeah, I enjoyed some of these. They're very good. Our old friend, Richard, sold Bambo with champagne on fire, um, <laughs> which I thought was very good. Uh, David Wellington's Serbian salmon sauce, just excellent. Londinium yeah. calling with Mitro's cream teas. Absolutely exceptional. Oh, um, wonderful. Really good. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, right, outrage Stephen Shaw with on Burrowed time. Uh, very good very clever Lovely. these are good this week lads ladies and gentlemen it's very very fun uh, Andrew Towner Riverside Fulham Peerless they're just they're just great um, really enjoyed loads of them um, Luke Resch with two wins away but the open brackets with an A in the middle of them uh, oh, which yeah. was remarkable um, and then Matt Wall with a slightly uh, NSFW uh, side Wet Ream
1: <laughs> okay <laughs> I was about to say, wow! People have really uh, taken it to a new level with three-word reviews there, but they were um, really Ma-
2: clever. All of Matt brought
1: down the tone just at no, the no, end. No, no, but
2: I don't mind. It's still really clever. There were there was a lot of there were a lot of plays. I know it's obviously a lot of puns most of the time, but I really did think that maybe Middlesbrough kind of served up an opportunity to to really work the puns and look. Faithful didn't disappoint.
1: Um, Peter, it was a big midweek trip for Fulham. Uh, Marcus Silva was saying in the build-up that he thought it was the toughest match of the season. I fully agreed with him. If there was a fixture difficulty rating like there is in the Premier League for the championship, I think for me, Middlesbrough away would be definitely number one. Uh, or if it was a, if there was a stroke index of uh, of championship away grounds again, I would put Middlesbrough at number one, considering their form at home has been exemplary this season, and they've been on on very good form under under Chris Wilder. So to go there, get a one nil win in the driving rain midweek—that is a performance of champions.
0: Yeah, it is, isn't it? It is the it's the mark of champions. Um, We've had a few of these now, haven't we, on the road? Uh, going away, not playing amazingly well, but still still coming away with, with the three points. And it, it was interesting when you said that you thought it was the, the time to scan the season because obviously you think it's, oh, have got Bournemouth coming up. It's funny. Is that a dig? But no, when you actually look at the, uh, the, the, the details, and as you say, Sam, if you were to do a fixture rating, going to the Riverside is, is right up there. You know, They haven't lost at home since November in the league. Uh, eight wins in a row. Some big teams have gone there and lost. Um, West Brom, Forests, Bournemouth. Um, so to go there to, you know, to, to fight, I think, is the best way of describing it. You know, Fulham had to to fight and slug it out in the second half. Um, uh, to come away with a clean sheet, to come away with three points, it's a really, really, really sweet feeling, I think. And it is, it, I mean, if, if anyone needed another sort of decisive moment to say going up, then... I think I think you've had your fill now I think you've had your your share yeah, but th- this was definitely up there and sure I mean performance wise um first half very good um second half was we was the middlesbrough I think we were sort of expecting actually um I was I was a little taken aback by the fact that Middlesbrough didn't come at Fulham in the first period didn't play not that Chris Wilder's teams are sides that will dom- like overly dominate you in in that way they they tend to looking at their score lines and speaking to a couple of people around the game, you know, they, they, they do sort of gr- not grind results out, but they will, they will do enough to get the win and then they will make sure that they can hold on to it. Um, but, you know, they showed Fulham a lot of respect in the first half and it was after the break when they switched up their wing backs and, and started to push on a lot more that we really got the full, full, full uh, the full Middlesbrough experience. Um, but, you know, coming through that, a great win, a really good goal, another set piece goal, making the difference. Um, yeah. Mark Champions, Sam, I think you summed it up nicely.
1: Uh, Jack, it was a real battle in that first half, and I thought it worked for me. The pairing, certainly the first forty-five of Harrison Reed and Nat Chalobah. Um, Harrison Reed, just exemplary. That's the kind of game that he thrives in, really, isn't it? When he knows that there's a midfield battle to be won, and there's scrappy balls, and it's raining. That's when Harrison Reed comes alive for me
2: yeah absolutely look he, he loves this kind of battle this kind of um yeah you know, attritional game if you will and and the ability to kind of you know duck and dive to Wimbles back to hassle and harry uh, it's all of the things in his game that we love watching um and this felt like the kind of game where he was allowed to do those things now that's probably a little bit limited in terms of i think harrison reed offers far more than all of those things put together and it, it would be unfair to pin him as just that player um, but I think there is an element that he likes to roll up his sleeves and get into the thick of it when those occasions occur and you get to see that kind of side of him unleashed I think you know in the sunshine on a glorious cottage pitch where Fulham are you know stroking the ball around beautifully against lower half opposition you see a different Harrison Reed, and you know that's not a that's not to say one is better than the other. They're just different players in that he is then able to to mix it up in, in in the middle and and press high and do all of the things that we love watching him do at home. But these are the kind of games you can show those kind of versatilities, those abilities to to, to move around and, and kind of adapt to the situation. And I think that a lot of people like watching Harrison Reed in this exact mode. And, and that's why it was so enjoyable last night to watch him get mad of the match.
1: Um, Peter, you wrote, uh, your article after the game on Harrison Reed, uh, the title Harrison Reed embodies Fulham's drive to become champions. You can read that right now on the athletic by subscribing, uh, the forward slash Fulham pod. If you'd like to get 33% off your regular subscription. And yeah, he was everywhere last night and possibly there should have been a red card for one of the challenges against him, uh, in, in the first half, which then brought amusement from the Borough fans because he was rolling around in agony. Then suddenly Fulham had a counter-attack and then he miraculously got to his feet, did a driving run down the right-hand
0: side and nearly assisted a, an opener for Mitrovic. Yeah, you could understand the, the anger, but then when you do see the replay, it was a pretty nasty challenge as you were saying, um, Sammy. I think Matt Crooks and, and Johnny Howson were uh, very, very physical in that middle area, weren't they? And that's why you needed re- Um And I, I think... Jack sort of touched on it there. You know, there, there are different sides to Harrison Reid. We've, we've, we've talked about how his his role sort of changed this year, the fact that he's playing as an eight at times and having to run vertically as, as well as horizontally in front of the back four. Um, and just these last two games since the international break, QPR, where he's back in that number six role away from home, he's having to, to sort of... <laughs> mop everything up behind Fabio Carvalho and Tom Kenny two of your classic sort of number 10s want to be in the final third um and then a, a completely different job uh, at Middlesbrough back in that 8 role where he's where he is playing in an advanced position um he is running in behind when he can he's he's trying to 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 link with Harry Wilson with Mitrovic uh, as well as supporting uh, Nat Chaiber in that he uh, was playing as a 6 uh, on Wednesday night um, and it's just though, th- he brings that tenacity that energy and that pressure and, and, and it, with a game like last night you, need, you needed that bite, you needed that fight and um, he, he does embody that and he sort of embodies he embodies that kind of result which Fulham have also sort of developed you know we sort of touched on it at the start of the pod but you know they are picking up these 1-0 wins on the road where you know they're not, they're not at their best for 90 minutes but they've still they've got those sort of traits that grit that sort of resilience to come through it to, put, to come away with a, with a 1-0, to hold a 1-0, to keep a clean sheet. And it's, it's through players like Reed who embody that, those characteristics. And um, I do also want to say that I thought Nat Chalobah was very good as well um, mm. in, that, in that six. Um, really tough battle in there. I thought we screened Tosin and, and Tim Ream. Again, both of them were, were immense as well. Um, but they, they, you could see what, I think there was a lot of conversation about whether Chalobah should start, um, whether Seri should come on during the game. I think as as it sort of developed and, and as it panned out, you could see the value he brought to the to the game, um, just, to, just in his ability to to deal with the physicality because the referee wasn't giving very much, if anything at all. So uh, no, it was it, you needed that bite in midfield and 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 Reed and Chalobah sort of epitomize that. Yeah, I thought
1: Chalobah was good in the first half. I thought it was the right time to bring him off. Felt like he was waning a bit and a few passes were going astray and stuff. And I thought the Josh Onama sub worked. I enjoyed, by the way, Peter, that the first comment on your Harrison Reed article uh, is from someone called Lou. And quite simply, she says, long time Reed supporter. This article is on point. So um...
2: long time Reid supporter. <laughs> Jane, she's moved around. She's gone from Southampton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We signed on loan from Southampton originally before making it a permanent deal. Had also spent time uh, with the Blackburn fans and the Norwich fans as well before that. So.
1: Just like some people support Messi. Some people support Ronaldo. Some people support Harrison Reed. Fair blades uh, of them. Yeah. Um, Jack, second half was um, a real struggle at first. There was a point about 60 minutes, and maybe this wasn't quite as easy to tell on the telly, but it was absolutely teeming it down. Like the rain was falling. Middlesbrough had what felt like about a dozen corners in five minutes. Both sides of the grounds were buzzing. The the atmosphere was loud. I was absolutely adamant that Burrow were going to score. It just felt inevitable. Um, But then shortly after, made a couple of changes. On came Josh Onema, on came Niskins Cabano. And then the match just slightly flipped back in our direction, which obviously is what led to the goal.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's something here in that Marco Silver has has been proactive there and, and made changes. And look, we talked about proactivity and reactivity loads last year. We've done it less this year because the truth is we've been in control um, of, of most games. And therefore, we've been able to kind of just roll with it, if you will, um, as opposed to what we saw maybe in that first season in the championship under Scott Parker, um, where we bemoaned that kind of lack of proactivity and maybe a bit then last year as well. This year, we haven't needed it as much because the truth is we haven't really been behind that many times. Um, And when we have, you know, he has made changes to try and rectify the situation. Um, But it was just a a mark of good management for me. Um, I I thought it was the right time to make those changes. Um, We've seen this, you know, kind of regularly recently. I think the changes have been, we haven't had many people be like, those changes are wrong. That's not the change I would have made, which is something that Kind of has plagued us in in times gone by. You know, we have plenty of messages, plenty of uh, of emails from people being like, "Why did they do that? Why did Parker do this?" We haven't had many being like, "Why did Silva bring this player on?" And I think that's probably a mark that you know, it's not to say that people know best because I don't think that's true. And, you know, people, managers are paid to be managers and be in those positions for a, a genuine reason. Um, but it does feel like Fulham are, he's making the substitutions that feel sensible in, in some ways. Uh, and it—and this was another one of them that, that therefore flipped the game in its head. It's easy to say at the end of the game, if Josh Onomer had given away a penalty and we'd lost 1-0, then maybe people would be questioning it. But, you know, ultimately I thought he came on and, and did well. There were We lost a bit of control, I thought, when Onama came on. But there is an element of that that we kind of needed in order to kind of chaos the game up to score the goal. Um, so, you know, it's risk and reward. We took a risk. We could have been punished for it. Instead, we took that reward, took three points, and off we go home. Everyone's a happy pony.
1: Yeah, I thought that Josh came on, did a solid job. I saw a little bit of criticism on last night on Twitter saying they didn't think he was that effective. But something for me, maybe it was... Being in the ground, I felt like he came on and changed the impetus of the game. I'm sure the stats maybe weren't that impressive. He didn't get that many touches on the ball, but they just felt like he brought some positivity to the match. He took a few risks. I thought he was tidy on the ball and it was nice to see Josh um, back playing football. I think we all know that he's pretty effective at this level. At the least anyone that scores that goal against Cardiff uh, still in my eyes uh, has more than enough Maradonima yeah, has more than enough credit in the bank to to put in performances on the pitch for Fulham. Let's come on to the goal, Peter. Another set piece beauty. Um, from the away end, I couldn't understand in real time how Alexander Mitrovic had the penalty box to himself um, to head that in. Obviously, you watch the replay and you realize that it's quite a choreographed move. Um, they think that Harrison Reed's going to take the free kick and it really does surprise the Borough defence when he doesn't. Um, but what a header he leaps so high. I'd love some sort of match of the day graphic to try and work out exactly how far he got <laughs> off the ground. I'm sure somewhere it's possible for someone to, to do that. But yeah, he, he re- he leapt like a salmon, didn't he? Uh, as, as
0: per one of the three word reviews. He did. He did. He got some real height on that, on that leap. Um, it was a really difficult technique for the header as well, because it's, it's almost like he's stretching for it. And obviously the ball is moving very quickly. Um, you know, and it's it's not like it's not a full glancing header. Is it? It's not like he's just sort of skimmed it a tiny bit to, to redirect it. There is a significant deviation on the ball for, um, for, from Wilson's free kick. But um, as you say, Sammy gets up well, directs it perfectly into the corner. A lot of that is, is to do with the whip that Harry Wilson puts on it. Um, I still don't think we've seen the best of Harry Wilson's free kicks this year. I mean, he had another one from shooting range that hit the wall. Um, So he's still still to register on that front in terms of direct goal scoring. But in terms of the delivery, we have seen that a few times this season. And it does make the difference. And it's why Fulham's set play return this year has been so impressive. I think it's 26, 25 goals from set plays, including penalties now. Good Lord. Um, Six of those are pens, but it's still well clear at the top top of the championship. Um and they're their key goals as well, aren't they? You know, they some of them have started, are starting are the first ones in games, uh like like a forest away. Um and, and then other ones are are in those 1-0s. You know, Cardiff, that was that was a corner routine. Um Barrow was a last night was another one. And you know that that sort of edge, that sort of cutting edge, um Really makes a difference. We've talked about having so many options, so many different ways of playing, different things you can fall back on to find a way through a team that's proving difficult, or you're not at your best, and you want to find a way to go. And, and Fulham have that, and they work on these set plays. You know, they work they work on them a lot. They, they focus really on the detail of it, on the routine. It can be really tedious for players. um You know, you speak to players about working on set play routines and their walkthroughs, and they can be slow. And if you're not really involved, it's hard to stay engaged, but Clearly, Fulham are bought into it. Clearly, Fulham are bought into how they work on them on the training ground. Um, they're listening, they're applying, and they believe they believe that it's going to make a difference. And that, and that you know, Fulham haven't don't historically have a good record from set plays, as you all know. And um, to to really write that, to really put that to bed, has been has been impressive. And and for Silver himself, as we've talked up, talked about before, you know, thinking back to his time at Everton and whatever, but it's it's a real asset, and it's and again, it proved the difference last night yeah and 15
1: assists now for the season for Harry Wilson I did a brief look back at recent championship seasons to find out kind of what is generally the high number um, for assists uh, Mattis Pereira uh, a couple of seasons ago got 17 for West Brom Matt Ritchie uh, got 17 for Bournemouth um, back in the 13 14 season so a couple more assists for Harry Wilson and he'll certainly be in the higher echelons of uh, most assists uh, in a championship season I didn't go much further back than. Uh, about 2013 uh, was my research so I don't know if there is some Guy Whittingham-esque um, person that got 30 in a season or something uh, I'm sure someone listening will be happy to uh, go back through the stats and uh, and find out who the, uh, the top ever assist was it'd be quite something if Mitrovic breaks Guy Whittingham's record and then Harry Wilson can break some sort of all time assisting uh, record as well. And he can get a, a nice little trophy as well at the end of the season. And then Jack, once we were one nil up, um, burrow through the kitchen sink at us. And it's quite surprising that they didn't find the back of the net two or three, absolutely guilt edge, um, chances. Towards, uh, I remember the, the the one that was missed in the 94th minute where he blazed it over. I was just like, this is our night, isn't it? If, if you're going to miss chances like that, then actually the, the stars were shining on us last night. It was a great performance. We dug in, but also some woeful finishing.
2: Oh yeah, it was the header from Coburn for me. Well, as soon as the header from Coburn went wide of the post, I was like, that's it, we've won this. Like, And then obviously the what more chance comes up. And I was like, oh. but I, I do think if you glance that header wide from the distance that he is from the goal, uh, and it's such a such an inviting cross. Uh, you're never going to score. Um, and ultimately, that, that's what it came down to. Look, Fulham defended well, right? Um, despite a couple of nervy moments from Marit Rodak, um, a couple of punches that had my uh, my dad and my uncle's WhatsApp group going absolutely mad. Um, <laughs> but um, there was a couple of moments. Uh, I do think that it was. You know, ultimately, about half. Well, no, actually, I think about seventy percent Fulham good defending, thirty percent Middlesbrough being a little bit wasteful. Um, and and look, they're a very very good side, right? Like let's not forget this. It's it's easy to sit here and be like, oh, we missed it, and and we should have beaten them. But ultimately, and and Fulham should look at every game as winnable, right? We're top of the championship for a reason. We are the best side in this division. But that doesn't mean that every game is going to be won. Um, and going up to Borough, as you know, as Silver said, as know as you said already looked like one of the most complicated and most difficult fixtures in the calendar so it proved we got away with on a little bit with some of their wayward finishing, but you could equally point out that no one, I'm still unsure how Bobby Reid Bobby didn't score when he connected with that that chance. And, you know, Mitrovic rolls one wide as well. There, there's a couple of opportunities for Fulham to put this, you know, away in the first half, to be perfectly honest, where Middlesbrough didn't really have that kind of control of the game. Um, so you look at it like that, and, and, and maybe it could be different, and it could be different the other way as well. Fulham could have been 2 nipple at half-time, and I don't think Borough would have got back into it. But as it was, Yes, 1-0. There's a couple of mischances at the end. They will be ruining those on another night. They might have scored them and we'll be
1: looking at this differently, but you take it and you run. I enjoyed, uh, on a related note, uh, a question to Chris Wilder last night uh, in one of his post-match press conferences which was do you think there's any reason why you haven't beaten any London clubs in the league this season which uh, Wilder responded I didn't think when our centre forward missed one from six yards out he went oh no that's a London club I better knock that one wide
2: Uh, it, it was an enjoyable interview he was a bit he was a bit salty at one point um, no but, if you're going to ask
0: Chris Warder a question like that I mean it's no no not on that answer oh, oh sorry no
2: no no that's completely fine no um, but he did it he did it
0: after it was like everything that followed suddenly
2: fell into yeah, yeah there was a bit of it but I thought Mo, Mo, actually in general he was quite um, he was quite gracious in defeat and he just he blamed his own he was like look we missed those chances and that's the only thing that can be blamed really
1: isn't it and I thought that was probably fair enough Yeah, well, I mean, I think he's always fairly good value, but if you're going to ask him a a stupid question like that, you will uh, definitely get a cutting response um, from Chris. Uh, And I just wanted to give a shout out to the fans last night. I I genuinely thought the away end was very, very good. The Middlesbrough fans are loud. It is a loud stadium. Um, They have that kind of European-style ultras drumming section that a few um, northern teams and Crystal Palace seem to have adopted. Not necessarily... And Crystal Palace. <laughs> Just like how you've gone, <laughs> oh yeah, Hodgesfield everyone, Middlesbrough, oh and Palace. Yeah, uh, not for me, Clive, but they did make a racket. Felt like the Fulham fans, long way on a Wednesday night, had to up the volume a little bit and um, rise to the occasion. And uh, we very much did obviously scoring a 75th minute winner to send us 11 points clear at the top does help things. Um, But yeah, I thought that we uh, generated a good atmosphere last night. There was a particularly nice moment at the end where we, um, sung the we've got Marco Silva song at Marco Silva and Marco Silva was lapping it up. He was absolutely loving it. He kept turning around to uh, applaud the Fulham fans for that. I think um, something about it just particularly touched him. He looks like he's having a a very nice time at the moment, Pete, doesn't he Marco Silva? I think he's um, drinking it in and and enjoying the moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, he is. You sort of getting that vibe a little bit from, from his, from his press conferences as well as I think is the closer you get to I mean, the, the position Fulham are in. I mean, if you're not starting to enjoy it a little bit now where the pressure is starting to, to come off a bit. Um, you know, last night he was very, 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 very pleased with the result. Um, and yeah, as you say, Sam, you can see that at full time.
1: Yeah, lovely to see Marco with a smile on his face and enjoying the celebration of the Fulham fans. It was a really special moment, actually, after the game. Just before we finish part one, by the way, uh, on Sunday, there is a walk from Carl Shorten Athletic Football Club uh, to Fulham starting at 10 a.m. It's called the Walk for Paul. And it's a walk in memory of the late Paul Parrish, who passed away at the Blackpool game. We spoke to his uh, lovely daughter, Claire, uh, on the pod, Podcast a few weeks ago, uh, all about her Heart Safe initiative. And the walk is looking to not just remember Paul, but also raise awareness uh, of how to spot the signs of a cardiac arrest and things like defibrillator awareness. And it's just going to be a really nice uh, event. It's open to all, starts at 10, arrives at 2, starts on Carl Shorten Athletic Football Club. Uh, And if you want any more details, you can find Claire on Twitter at LittleClairePom. They're doing stops uh, along the way as well. So you might be able to join it uh, halfway if that's slightly more convenient for where you live in southwest London. You don't need a ticket or anything else like that. Just go along and uh, meet some fellow Fulham fans, have a bit of a natter and hopefully uh, something lovely in Paul's memory and uh, raising awareness for a very important cause, as we heard a couple of weeks ago. Right. In part two, we're going to discuss Fabio Carvalho and look ahead to that Coventry game. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello. Okay, so we're going to look ahead to Coventry in a moment. But what I felt like we didn't need today, Peter, was more full of news. Um, But it broke this afternoon first via Fabrizio Romano, a.k.a. the man that says here we go and announces transfers on Twitter that Fabio Carvalho has signed a deal with Liverpool. Uh, since then uh, the athletic has now run this story as well. And it's going to happen in the summer, pretty much for the same transfer terms that was agreed in January before the deal fell through. Um, I knew that this might be on the cards, Peter, but I thought there was a chance that Fabio and his team might want it to go to some sort of European bidding war uh, in the summer. Turns out that they've uh, cashed the chips in early and Liverpool is where he's going.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes it is. You know, as you said, Fabrizio Romano with the story earlier on, and, and we've been able to confirm that as well. Um, and I, I, we talked about it before at the time, didn't we, that maybe there was a European angle there. You know, maybe it would be looking broadly because he wants to play. You know, that's the sense since we got back in. And yeah, um, as it's turned out, you know, Liverpool have been able to ensure that they've not lost him. I think <laughs> I think that's, that's what it looks like from their perspective. Um, as you say, Sammy, the deal is very similar to... The, to what was agreed in January, um, £5 million up front, I believe, um, with add-ons and then a 20% sell-on as well. I think in those circumstances, uh, considering where we're at now with, with Car Value, I think from a Fulham perspective, that's that's a good deal compared to letting him go and, and waiting for the compensation. Um, of course <laughs> we can all see his talent and if he was under contract for a bit longer I'm sure you're looking at much much more for a player whose ceiling seems to be extremely extremely high um, but as it is um, he's it's, it's Liverpool will be his next his next steps um, I think it's a good place obviously Harvey Elliott was in the same age group they played together at Fulham in the youth, group, uh, youth age groups um, <laughs> there'll be a, a, a Motspur Park tinge to the future of life at Anfield now um but yeah, it's it's I guess from one perspective it's good the saga's over. Um I think it's credit to Carvalho that it hasn't really affected him for much of this season. I think in recent weeks his performances haven't been at the same height, but we also have to consider that he is targeted in most games. And I think um even last night we saw a bit of that, we saw that against QPR as well, where he is having to learn to ride to challenges to avoid getting himself hurt. Um but has remained a key fixture in this team. Has remained an essential part of, of what Marco Silva wants to do. And there's no, there's no doubting his his talent. There's no doubting what the Fulham Fulham coaching staff think of him. Um, and clearly, clearly now, um, a club like Liverpool see a future for him there. And uh, and and that deals that deal's done. So uh, I guess the, the next question for Fulham is how do they replace him? Yeah, I mean, it's a testament to Fabio Carvalho that uh, him not hitting the heights is
1: getting assist against QPR and winning the free kick um, that leads to the Fulham goal. But I think you're right. It, it, it's just a mark of how, how important he has been to the, to this team this season, Peter. And what we've witnessed for a season has been wonderful. It's sad that it's not going to be any longer. And Jack, um, it's been ruled out that he will return to us on loan, I think. Well, at, least, at
2: least not like as it's not part of the deal. I think kind yes. sort of ruling out, which is probably you'd expect it to have been if if it was going to be that.
1: I am a bit sad. I kind of maybe naively thought that that could be on the cards. I really thought he'd be a useful player for us in the Premier League next year. Some continuity, um, if Liverpool uh, allowed it to happen. But uh, looks like Liverpool have alternative ideas. Do you think that's potential, like being around the first team next year? Yeah, I do. Um I, I
2: actually have a, a theory about this that Klopp has finished his cycle almost with with his three big guns. And while we've seen the introduction of Luis Diaz, of Diego Jota, um of Harvey Elliott a lot this season as well, and uh, before that injury obviously. Um and, and I think part of it is that Klopp knows that it's very much adapt or die. Uh, and I think in 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 that regard he might have to look at switching formations. And if he does so at the moment, he doesn't have a player who naturally fits into that 10 role. We've seen them deployed as a four, um, Jota, Firmino, Mane and Salah as well at times, um, where one of them's had to play in a, quite, a slightly uncomfortable 10 role. Bobby Firmino's okay there, um, but I don't think it's probably his best position. Um, and I do think that as they start to, not necessarily age, I, I don't think it's necessarily about their ages in particular. I think the key element here is that not necessarily teams in the Premier League, but teams across Europe might eventually start to, you know, work that out. They need to freshen things up. Sir so Alex Ferguson famously said you can't do more than five years with the same squad. You have to keep freshening up. Um and, and I think that's maybe why Klopp's got one eye here, or Liverpool maybe, even thinking post-Klopp, have an eye here on switching formations, on being able to change shape during games. And I do think that that's why Fabio has been brought in, because they don't have a natural 10 to jump into that slot. Um, and I do wonder if, if, if it's a kind of harbinger of getting in and around the squad. That doesn't mean I think he's going to play loads of minutes next year. I don't. But I think if you get him in and around the squad um, and and kind of let him develop in those places, it'll allow them to look at what the future looks like and how you do start to replace a forward line of that calibre is a very difficult task. You know, it's not necessarily a like for like player that comes in and does the same thing. You might have to completely switch your attacking impetus. And I think that's maybe why they're thinking about bringing Carvalho in and, and putting him straight into this first team.
1: And Peter, you mentioned uh, how to Fulham replace him. Uh, Fulham will almost certainly have been looking at the uh, transfer market for being in the Premier League for a couple of months now. You'd have thought, um, I think that the transfer team probably have been saying when, not if, for uh, quite uh, some time now. And that is a big hole in the squad. We lost Carvalho for about two or three months of the season, kind of September, October. He wasn't there and... After a while, we didn't miss him, but we did at first. Bobby Reed kind of fitted in the 10 and and did an admirable job. So much so that actually I remember a few times we said, will Fabio get his place back because Bobby was doing such a job? But after a while, Fabio proved his worth in that role. And, and clearly the evidence has shown that he's he's absolutely thrived since coming back from that. Um, never ending toe injury that he got um, back in August as a bit of a throwback to uh, earlier in the season. So how do you think Fulham will try and approach this uh, in the transfer market? Do you think this could be the start of a transition in shape for Marco Silva as he goes up and plays much tougher opposition next year in the Prem?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, they've, they've certainly been, will have start work now already. Um, with contingencies as they do anyway, it's just part of due diligence. But I think a lot of it, as you say, is will be to do with how Fulham want to play next season, and I think that's a really interesting element to this. Um, I this is more my, my opinion is just looking back over Silver's different teams. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Fulham switched to a free at some point next season. Um, that, of course, will depend on personnel um, who they have in, and and I'm sure they'll want to bolster centre half anyway. Um, so. Yeah, interesting. And then also what kind of profile of midfielders does he, does he want? Now, a lot of Silver's teams have always had goal scoring 10s or 10s that can go beyond uh, the front man um, and, and, and affect games in those areas. Um, playing sometimes as an eight, as we've seen Fabio do, but just stepping into advanced, advanced positions. Will Fulham be able to get a player of the talent to be as effective in the Premier League in that role next year? Because um, obviously the gap that Fulham are going to step up now is huge. And it will be it will be interesting to see what they do. And I'm sure, of course, of course you want a player like Fabio Capello. I mean, he's a, we've talked about him so much, but he's a, he's a naturally gifted player. Um, Someone who works really hard as well off the ball, has a fantastic mentality, um, which has been underlined by how, you know, the last few months, he's just not been that affected or his football hasn't been too affected by by what's been going on around him. Um, finding a, a player like that will be very, very difficult. Um, and yeah, I, Bobby Decker, overread as you said, has, has stepped into that position. Tom Kenny's a different player. Um, it will be just be a case of what Silver wants to do in terms of how the team sets up. I can't see Fulham overly changing to where they are now. I still think we will see the system that we see now. Um, but the Premier League is a different beast. It is certainly going to throw up some new challenges, and um, it won't. It certainly won't be an easy an easy task. Um, um, to find the, the right player who's got, got to adapt to the Premier League, got to d- adapt to the intensity um, and play in a team that's not going to be as dominant next year. We're not going <laughs> to, of course, they're not going to be. It's going to be a different, different environment. So, um, yeah, a very intriguing question because a goal scoring 10 is, is very different, as, as Jack will probably outline, to, to a 10 that's you know, creative and likes to pop around and, and pop into pockets because um, Carvalho was much more than that.
2: Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I actually kind of echo. Peter's thoughts in in some ways about the fact that I wonder if if it not were drop into a three in the back. I wonder if Fulham's defensive well or midfield line is a little bit more defensive next year in that that three rather than a 4-2-3-1, it's a four three three shape um, with two eights to break on as opposed to an actual pure ten um, to give us a little bit more stability in in transition. I've already talked about the fact that I think that when you look at what he's trying to do with Reed and Chalobah. I think that's because he sees that as a a defensively minded pairing. You could maybe play alongside a Tom Kenny next season, you know or or a player of Tom Kenny's kind of mold next season in order to make sure that Fulham are a little bit more defensively rigid than we have been this season. There's a couple of players that I would be looking at. I know that Leeds United have been linked already with Brendan Aronson at at, at Salzburg. I'd be very intrigued to see if we could have a conversation about that. Um, The other one that I quite like is Andreas Skov olsen um, who can kind of play on either wing, but... Um, I have quite liked him through the middle as well. Um, he plays for Club Bruges. Obviously, we've got some sort of relationship with them after the Dennis adoy deal. Um, and maybe Dennis can have a word for us. But I do quite like him um, as well. He, he left Bologna a couple of years back. Never really got going there. Um, but he, he kind of just, he, he didn't really work. But I do think he might be an interesting prospect at this point. Um, aside from that, I think Marco Silva will have some pretty heavy links in Portugal. And one that jumps out to me, might play wide, but could play as a 10, is Rafa Silva. Unhappy at Benfica. Um, been very, very impressive for them over the years. But rumours are that he wants to leave and try his hand in the Premier League. There will be bigger clubs and Fulham involved. But I wonder if the the kind of Benfica links that we've already talked about in the back room uh, and that Portuguese back room staff might have a say in this. If Rafa Silva wants to come to England, um, and Mar- Marco Silva might be able to pull a couple of strings. That'd be one for me that I think would be, you know, a little bit experienced at the very top level. We saw him playing this week, obviously, um, against Liverpool, but um, was exquisite against Ajax in the, in the last round of the Champions League. Um, if he wants to try something new, then uh, maybe we could tempt into the cottage.
1: Peter, I'm going to preempt a question that is almost certainly going to come into the Fulhamish inbox uh, if we did open it up, um, which is if Fulham wrap up the league with, let's say, a few games to go, it seems likely given our position in the table. Do you think Fabio Carvalho might not play anymore? Maybe we could see Sonny Hilton. A lot of people would love to see him um, come and fill the boots of uh, Fabio Carvalho for the last two or three games of the uh, of the season. If we know. For a fact, and it is a pretty much a fact now that Fabio is not here next year, and it's signed, sealed, and delivered.
0: I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I'd be like, uh, I guess it's not the same thing, but it's like Fulham good, you know, the title. And you say, well, does does Rodrigo Muniz now get some more minutes ahead of Mitrovic, even though he's got his uh, his goal his goal records in in mind? Um, I don't think Silver will will rotate overly. I think we've we've seen that really all season, and I think. He will want, and I think the team will want to win as many of these remaining games as possible.
2: Oh, I think they'll be looking at that 100 point mark. Yeah, I going, think
0: why not? They they will they will want to keep keep up those standards that they've set. I think that's been one of the driving driving forces of this whole season. Um, and you know, and Carvalho's been been central to that, and you know, Carvalho's been excellent too. And it, you know, it, I'm sure he he'll, he'll want to keep playing. You know, he has not been or seemed like a player that want has you know had his head turned and doesn't want to be there. It's not been the case at all. I think everyone who's seen him play could see how much he's giving the risks he's taking with the challenges he's facing and, and whatever else. So no I can't I can't see can't see that happening. Um I can't see it I mean it was reminds me of the end of last season where Scott Park said we might need to start using some some of these players and we've got sort of a half and half mix that didn't really sort of work. Um I I don't think that'd be the case. I think Fulham will go strong until the end and then uh, it'll be a, a reset in in the summer.
1: Yeah, I mean, for some of us who uh, our main ambition now for the rest of the season is to reach 100 goals. Uh, I really hope that uh, Marcus Silva takes the challenge seriously and uh, plays his strongest 11 until that's achieved. Once he has 100 goals, uh, you play who you want. No, 100 goals, 100 points. I think here's
2: one for you. If Fulham get 100 goals and 100 points, I think this is the greatest side in championship history. If we don't, then I think there's arguments to be had elsewhere.
0: Uh, in terms of just championship, I as mean, if we're going with that flimsy when they change the name and put a different colour color scheme over it, yeah. definitely, definitely got to be up there, surely already. But what already. were,
2: Reading's, what were Reading, Reading's points total? It was 105. 106. 106, 106 wasn't it? But yeah, they've so have done 99 think, goals, though. Yeah, but I think you have to beat. you have to break both. if you're going to be considered the outright best side in championship history I think you have
0: to break both there is one other thing and that's best goal difference so Fulham's goal difference is plus 61 the best in the second tier is plus 74 and that was set in 1895 to 96 so if you're beating that that. I think you're right up there right good Good lord let's do that as well
1: stat of the day badge for peter rutzler um finally in this section wanted to look at coventry on sunday 3 p.m kickoff a bit weird that we're playing sunday 3 p.m even though it's um, not on the telly uh it's a sellout jack at craven cottage we're back at craven cottage five away days in a row uh the marathon is finally over and it'll uh It'll be nice to be there. Of course, there is some mathematics that Fulham could get promoted on Sunday. Uh, Forrest have to lose to Birmingham uh, and then Fulham would have to beat that's Coventry gonna, in happen. order for us to get promoted <laughs> on Sunday. Not going to happen, but could. Um, but yeah, Jack, uh, Coventry aside that... Um, We did not enjoy playing earlier in the season. A 4-1 defeat. They very much had our number that day. Um, I think Coventry at home, though, is not quite the same test as Coventry away, but they've done very well this season. They do have to be respected.
2: Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's, um, you know, they have been much better at home and that's fair enough and they've also fallen off a little bit of late I think it's partly just having a slightly small squad for what my Robinson has been trying to do but full credit to them I think if you'd offered them you know where they were where they are now at the start of the season they would have bitten your hand off for it so full credit to Coventry they've been exceptional um they've been a real you know cut and thrust in this division I think and it's easy to come up and uh, and kind of just sort of wander around at the bottom, right? And, and and try and defend your way to 17. They've come out swashbuckling. They've come out fighting. Um, it's been really, really intriguing. And, and you know, what? fair play to them. They need to be given the utmost respect because uh, they have been a real joy to behold for long parts of this season.
1: Uh, I mean, they're not immune to a, an away win. Um, they did win... Uh, 2-1 at at Bristol City in February. They got a win at Reading in February as well. They also went to Peterborough and won in January. So uh, there might be a consensus that they're only a home team. Um, They're very much not. Um, Peter, though, it will just be good for Fulham to get back to Craven Cottage. I imagine for your... uh, you're probably pretty weary of uh, trains and cars after five away games in a row. So it will just be nice, even if it's not the game that secures promotion uh, for Fulham to be back in front of their home fans. It's felt like a long
0: time. Yes. It's good for me. Good for me specifically. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it will be good. Um, Marco Silva made, made that comment as well afterwards. Um, it's a lot of traveling. It's a lot of hotels um, for for the players. So to get back in front of the home crowd and, just to, to, see, to see the team over the line. And I, I think that would be a real nice symmetry to, to winning it against Coventry, considering how terrible um, <laughs> the, the result and the performance was all the way back in October, that sort of decisive moment, really. Um, one of those real standout moments in the season where I think that was probably the moment where we asked the most questions about the team, that we're, where alarm bells really were ringing the loudest, I think at any, any stage. Um, and the way the team have come back, the, you know, the different elements to their game that they've added, the resilience, the ability to react in adversity, to grinding out results when you're not playing particularly well. Um, it, it was quite a, uh, an important moment. So, to do it against Coventry, I mean, as, as you know, with Forest Birmingham, it seems very unlikely, but um, on the Saturday, you know, it, it, it would be an, a fitting finish. But as Jack outlined, you know, and, and as as we know from seeing the way they play, um, you know they they do do carry a great deal of threat. They work very very hard as a unit. Um, they 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 went man to man against Fulham and 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 matched them and outdid them uh, at the Rico. Um And I'm and I'm sure that they will cause problems again. They didn't make it easy for Forest uh, last night. So um, you know it should it should be it should be a good game. Um, and and you know whether or not they get promoted, it's it it will be nice to be back. Back, back, back by the Thames, back by the river, back where we want to be.
1: Yeah, the riverside will probably be completed now by the time we're back. It's been, um, it's been so long. Um, you speak about Fulham's resilience, um, by the way. Saw a great tweet from uh, Tristan uh, Potricic, and uh, I loved this stat. He said that uh, this season there have been four 1-0 wins away from home. Peterborough, Hull, Cardiff, Borough. The similarity? All won by a Mitrovic header.
2: Nice.
1: (laughs) I just, I liked the symmetry there. Also, uh, I saw that if we win three nil, uh, on Sunday, then our home and away records will be exactly the same, both in terms of wins, draws, losses, goals scored and goals against. If we win three nil. On, on Sunday, sorry, I should say, um, which again, the level of consistency uh, from this team is utterly remarkable. Um, just one thing, Jack, uh, you were saying off air before we started that um, obviously everyone will be wanting Forrest not to win on Saturday. So there's a hope that we can get promoted against Coventry. Yeah, I'm not. You've got a theory here. Do you want to present your theory to the class? Um, well,
2: I th- Forrest are eight points behind Bournemouth, right? Which seems like a lot. But then I took a look at Bournemouth's run-in and Bournemouth's run-in is horrendous. It is an absolute, uh, l- let me put it this way, I would not be a happy boy if I was a Bournemouth fan. Let me read you out there running it. They have Sheffield United, then they have Middlesbrough, then they have Coventry away, then they have us, then they have Swansea away who are in flying form, then they have Blackburn who to be fair have been quite poor of late, then they have Nottingham Forest and then they have Millwall. Now, Forrest obviously still have to play us as well. Um, but if Bournemouth were to lose their next two games against Middlesbrough and Sheffield United, which is perfectly plausible, I don't think it's likely, but I think it's plausible considering the loss to West Brom in the week. Forrest would be two points behind them if they win both of their games, which are on paper easier, with each other still to play. They've both also got to play Fulham in that time. I think this is implausible. My theory is that Forrest come up second. That's my theory.
1: <laughs> i mean i'd i'd part of me obviously really wants full of to just get this sorted and over the line but and yeah, and it, it's, for it to happen it's against Coventry. but i if, if the trade-off was bournemouth to completely bottle it and be in third i think yeah, the
2: I'd, key is the look that, that it's worth pointing out here that actually you know for all the criticism that scott parker's gotten for all the criticism he's got off of bournemouth fans as well this was actually the period in the season that he had Fulham in the championship where he really did actually turn it around and he really steadied the ship when it looked like we were going to fall out of the playoffs completely. Um, we lost those two games, remember coming back off the break to Brentford and to Leeds and then it was like, oh God, Fulham aren't even going to get to playoffs. And then from there, it was very steady. And uh, so he does have a track record of being able to see this out in the championship when things got a bit rocky. But I did look at that. I did look at those games and go, Whew. I would not want your... Our running isn't easy, but my lord, I would not want yours.
1: If Forrest hadn't have started quite as catastrophically as they did, um, I am pretty certain that they would be definitely in the top two shout and probably giving us a little bit more of a run for, them, for our money than, uh, than Bournemouth are. They are absolutely flying at the moment. And yeah, I think uh, promotion on Sunday does look unlikely, but you never know. Right, um, Peter, we're going to have to leave you there because um, your phone is buzzing. But thank you for uh, your time today.
0: Oh, thank you for having me, Sammy. It's nice to see you again yeah, yeah that's again. quite enough
1: that's quite enough sammy time for peter today yeah. yeah peter needs to go have a sammy break that's why he won't do part three uh, <laughs> and in part three we're gonna do some correspondence and then this will catch on part three of the fulhamish podcast peter is gone it is just me sammy with jack collins hello hello mate hello just the two of us it's old yeah. school this Peter's a man to demand. He 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 gave us two out of three parts. There's a uh, lot going on with the Fabio stuff, isn't there? So obviously he's
2: gonna have to uh he's gonna have to deal with all of that.
1: I, I it was one of those that dropped earlier. I was like, oh, not today. There's enough <laughs> going on. There's I'm enough busy. to talk about. There's so many like <laughs> Dark, like weeks with fulham where there's like not a lot of news and we're having to like scrape the barrel sometimes yeah, what yeah, to yeah. talk about and then you're like oh you could have saved this for a nice quiet Why one in we? like may or june or yeah. something like that i'm but sure alas. when it gets anna-
2: i'm sure when it gets announced we'll do it again but um alas here we are
1: Yeah. Um, Do this or catch on in a second, but uh, a couple of bits of correspondence that have passed the desk, uh, which I thought would be nice to do first. First, this one from Oliver Beals says, Hi, guys. I'm sure it hasn't escaped your notice that there's been much debate and division amongst the fan base following the scenes directly behind the goal after Mitro banged home the penalty against QPR on Saturday. Those of us who attend away games with our children or older relatives have been vocal on Twitter about our concerns that sooner or later, someone is going to get seriously injured as a result of fans throwing themselves forward multiple rows to create limbs following goals. These concerns have been met with sneers and suggestions by some that maybe away games aren't for you or that we're simply moaning for the sake of it. I've got a 10 and 7 year old. We regularly attend away games and are happy to stand throughout with my two boys standing on their seats, which they enjoy as part of the away atmosphere. Fear. If we'd have been unfortunate enough to be directly behind the goal on Saturday, though, they would have been both wiped out and very possibly seriously hurt. Why can't some supporters understand that no one is saying we shouldn't go mental celebrating goals, but simply ask that they consider those around them who run the real risk of being hurt, namely children and older fans? Kind regards from Ollie. Jack, this has been something that's happened on Twitter, and I feel like. Just quickly at this point, important to just stress that like, not everyone's on Twitter, right? So this has been something big on Twitter. And if you're on Fulham Twitter, you'll know about this. I imagine there is a lot of people that listen to this, that wisely stay away from Twitter, and therefore don't know that this is a conversation going on. I think there can always be a danger that you think that everyone's on Twitter or every Fulham fan. Um, is on there. And actually it just feels that way because Twitter is so well designed to make you feel like the whole world uh, is on there and chiming in. There has been a debate started by Dan Crawford um, from Hammy Ends after the pictures of Mitrovic's goal as Ollie talked about. And Dan basically said the same things as Ollie, um but in, in a very nice erudite way, because Dan is very good with words. And I thought what he said was very true. Jack, I'll, I'll pass on to you on this one. I've got a few uh, opinions as well that i didn't want to get involved on twitter because i was like yeah. I actually i can't i'll say something on twitter and it will get taken out of context well, this is so, exactly
2: where i started with it i didn't want to get involved with it on twitter because it's the kind of thing that in 240 characters or less can be misconstrued especially when something has caused such a divide right um but first and foremost it's probably worth pointing out that dan crawford's thread on this matter was polite succinct and full of good points and if you know, before we get into the actual thing, if you're the kind of person that if you decided to react to that by unloading a torrent of abuse towards him, then you're an atrocious human being. And there's no place for that in football, never mind at Fulham. But to go back to the matter in hand, I do think there's a lot to dissect in some ways. And I can see both sides of this argument, right? Football is supposed to be fun. Although with us, there's always a share of heartbreak and desolation in there as well. But it is supposed to be, you know, going with your mates and your family and celebrating like mad with your friends when losing it, when a last minute winner goes in and loving life when you win, especially in the derby against, you know, that lot from up the road. Anyone who thinks that what Dan is saying is anti any of that has clearly never had any contact with Dan because he's an inspiration in terms of the fervor of his support for this club and look we've all been involved in those kind of moments right I remember the rush in the old terrace of Griffin Park when TC saw the second on that fireworks night to steal the deal and we ended up meters from where we stood although you know admittedly that wasn't all standing terrace so it was a little bit easier to get shifted around you know or the last minute metro goal at Preston where the stand was so steep and people were catching each other or at Oakwell when there was that rush to the front to embrace KMac when that ball finally went into the net in the most frustrating game of all time it happens right there's exaggeration and overexcitement and pure oblivion, I think, at times. But then there's also a difference between that and like walking out onto the staircases in order to throw yourselves down them for a penalty, which Mitra was always going to score. Like it all felt weirdly forced. Mm-hmm. But like, I think maybe part of this for me, and, and you know, to kind of come away from all of that, part of the buzz of an away day, right, is about being there with your own people behind enemy lines in hostile atmospheres. It's about being bound together by Fulham, no matter who you are, in somewhere where everyone else is kind of against you. And if you saw a Fulham supporter being beaten up by a QPR fan at the weekend, I'd probably try and step in, right? I might not be of much use, but I would try because that's what it's about, isn't it? Like looking after your own, being part of something, being part of a community. So if we try and step in, or if, uh, you know, I I can't speak for everyone, but I feel like that's how I would would feel. And I'd say you're probably the same, Sam. Yeah. So, but if we'd step in to try and look after someone outside, Why is it any sort of offense to suggest that we do the same inside, that we'd keep an eye out from each other, from the people around us, that we try and make sure they're able to enjoy it the same way as us? Right. I think about it. QPR sold out when it was still in the allocations to season tickets with a relatively decent amount of membership points. Right. So ninety nine point nine percent of Fulham there were Fulham season ticket holders who go away at the very least semi regularly. That's the community that's supposed to be all of us together. You know, no matter you know, who people are, that is the people who are regularly at these kind of occasions. So to say that some people shouldn't be there because of various reasons, having kids, being elderly, being disabled, is absolute nonsense, right? Like my granddad got me in got my dad and by proxy me into Fulham. And I hope that one day a long way off that if I'm blessed enough that I could bring my children down with me and to away days to experience the same things that I got to do with my family. I hope that when my kids, you know, if I'm blessed with them, they grow up, they'll start going themselves like my brother and I did in our teenage years. And I do so and let them go with the hope that the Fulham community would keep an eye on them like they did with us. I hope my dad keeps coming with me until he can't anymore. Right? I want to take him to to games and have him there with me. And I want him to be there in away ends. And look, at the moment, my dad, I'm lucky enough that my dad is mobile and able to, you know, be wherever. And if it does get to a rush, he'd be all right. But, you know, he might not be in, in five years time or in 10 years time. And, and I think that, you know, although I'll be willing to be corrected about this, this kind of phenomenon has been born out of two things. One is the culture of kind of one-upmanship on social media. And two, the frustration of not being allowed to go and see Fulham for a season and a half, which are both fine in their own rights. So or I think the former is probably slightly more grim than the latter. I saw a lot of responses to that dance thread and to responses to it being like, this is why other fan bases think we're crap. And I thought that was interesting because... Genuinely, I couldn't give a monkey's what other clubs fan bases are saying about how good our support is on Twitter, but I couldn't really care less. What yeah. they think about us, because I know how much I love Fulham and how much this community has given me and how much, you know, we know that when we're all together, it can be absolutely the best thing on earth. I care far more about how genuine supporters of this club feel about their own safety than what some Hull City fan thinks about our celebrations, because it goes straight back to the point about looking after our own. Obviously, no one's asking anyone to not have a quality time at football or not go mad or love life when Fulham scored. That's what it's about but I don't think it's too much to ask to suggest people keep an eye out for those around them as well. Football is everyone's game, whatever your age, gender, religion, race, ability, or orientation. Like all that matters at Fulham on match day and those away ends or at home is that you're Fulham. And if we're all Fulham, why would we not look after our own?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, brilliantly put, by the way, I'm not going to be able to add much more that you haven't said there, Jack, because you've, you've summed it up perfectly, but also, Like everything, there is a nuance to this debate, and I think it was important what you mentioned, few of the moments that I recall. And you have to take some things on a case-by-case basis. Sometimes things happen, and naturally, sometimes people might get injured at a football match celebrating goals. As you say, I remember the Preston one. It's so steep. (laughs) It was so steep, and people were just falling over because people were just so excited, and they tripped down the stairs. And That's fine. I remember Barnsley. I'd rather
2: rather people didn't get injured, but occasionally accidents happen. That is life. That's not about football. That's about life.
1: And like last night at Middlesbrough, if you really wanted to go and... um push you and your mates over at Middlesbrough because that's what you enjoy doing. There was more than enough space in the stand last night where you couldn't go do that and you'd be absolutely knowing nobody. And apart from injuring yourselves, like it would be fine. But QPR is QPR, right? It's it's absolutely rammed in that lower tier. It felt like there was more fans in there than there were seats at points. And clearly what happened on those stairs was dangerous. I don't think I've ever seen it like at QPR because
2: it did feel like everyone kind of went onto the stairs in order to kind of rush down them. But I suppose that's the kind of weird nature of the fact that it was a penalty. Yeah. You've seen last minute things where people have fallen over and and whatever and people have, you know, given it, you know, and bouncing around. Me and Tom have fallen over bouncing around before this happens. Like, you know, sometimes you get caught, sometimes your leg gets caught. Those things can happen, but we're not chucking ourselves over a couple of rows in order to land on other people. And I do think that it's the kind of weird element of a penalty that makes this strange, right? Because it allows you to build up to the idea of the goal. Um, And and that's kind of maybe the difference here. If that goal is just a header from across, maybe the scenes aren't anywhere near the same because people haven't got that opportunity to put themselves in a position where they can coordinate that kind of rush down them. But like, look, I've been to football matches all over the world. Right? I've been blessed enough to go to games. I've seen, you know, unbelievable scenes in the Stadio Olimpico recently where Lazio beat Roma. I've been in these ultras ends. I've been to the Derby in Belgrade. I've been to, you know, games, you know, everywhere in, in, across the world. I've been to real ultras sections where people are genuinely terrifying, right? And there are crushes. There are things where people move as a mass, but There's never this kind of idea that you're trying to get to it. It's just the emotion of something. And I feel like by trying to kind of concoct those ideas, just doesn't feel right for me like that always bears out over natural bits and bobs it, it is what it is but that's my t- tuppence worth on the matter anyway like obviously no one's saying don't have fun that'd be stupid obviously everyone's <laughs> had great fun at fulham it's the best thing in the world following fulham and especially following fulham away but like just keep an eye out for each other surely that's not that it's not of that weird
1: that's all it is for me is i feel like people should be allowed to celebrate how they want literally with the caveat, as long as it's not endangering someone else. That's, that's pretty much the, the long and short of it. No doubt someone will clip this up and, and try and take it out of context. Fingers crossed that being on a podcast is slightly harder to do that. I, I also just did see a little bit, I, I, I really don't want, and it's a big thing in other fan bases where there is a young v old divide. I know it's the case up the road at Sanctions FC that the old fans hate the young fans and the young fans hate the old fans. And that's not something that I think is that apparent at Fulham right now. I think everyone kind of gets along, but there's been shades of that this year where there's been growing discontent, I think, from both sides. And I I would really hate it if it got to that situation where um, there was, there was real animosity on, on both sides. So I fingers crossed. I didn't feel like it was animosity. It was just people, you know,
2: trying to defend their own viewpoints, right. Which is, which is fine. But like that moment where it descended into genuine abuse, I think is ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, Ollie, thank you for your message. I think, um, and also, this is something that's been building all season as well. Like I think some people were like, oh, why are we talking about this now? We just won 2-0 in the derby. It became because of the what of the clip that happened. But also we've had similar kind of messages or comments from people all season. There was a little bit of this chat after the Bristol City Cup game, um, where a photo went round of some of the lads who had fallen overseas. This is this is not something new, and I know the FST um, has had a lot of messages about it. So anyway, that's our two pence worth on it. Uh, Jack, are you ready for a This Will Catch On? <laughs> we'll change the mood up somewhat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. There's no easy segue to go no, from no, no, talking no, about limbs no. to This Will Catch On. So we're going to do a live This Will Catch On at the half moon on Sunday, which will then be released uh, in next Wednesday's podcast. So I'm saving up a few of this will catch ons um, for Sundays to be played live in front of a studio audience, which could be carnage. I don't know how that's going to go, um, but we shall see. Um, if you want to get your entry in for the Half Moon, uh, I'm still accepting submissions at hello at uk, but I do have a big backlog. I haven't really looked through them yet. So if you want to get it played in front of an audience, um, then get yours in pretty quickly. Um, but this one today is from David Manning, and he said, here's a recording of a Sam Fender modern classic for This Will Catch On. I thought this one was particularly apt, Jack, as we were in the Northeast last night. I, I know it was T side, not Tyneside, but close enough as far as I'm concerned. It'll do. <laughs> He says, apologies for it being so lengthy. It's a tribute to our starting 11. Excuse my singing and that I had to bring two parts of the song together which aren't actually connected. I do have another version for another verse which fits more with the structure of the whole song, but I think this is long enough. Yes, I imagine it probably is, David. Don't worry about sending that one in. Love the pod and this feature always amuses me with the range of songs used. Keep up the good work. As David alluded to, this is a bit of an epic. I kind of enjoyed this. I'd, I'd be interested to know your opinion on this, Jack.
3: I remember Fulham in September I remember the loss of Bloomfield Road Then November 7-0 at Blackburn Then at the ski Scoring goals for fun And do it all again next week Robinson at left back Nico on the right Ream alongside Tosin At the back they keep it tight Marek, Rodak in goal Safe hands between the sticks Harrison Reed in midfield Tom Kenny makes us tick It's not bad, is it? It's very good. Scott from Metro Fabio Carvalho Harry Wilson and Cabano FFC going up yeah FFC going up yeah whoa whoa whoa, whoa. FFC going up yeah whoa 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 whoa
2: I... It's not catching on. No, no,
1: no. That's just <laughs> a nice song. It's just I, a nice song, isn't it? But, honest, it was just quite
2: pleasant. I was quite enjoyed myself. It was nice. Um, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was very musical. It was very rhythmic. I had a good time. Um, you know,
1: keep them coming. These are, yeah. these are nice. I, I, did, it, wasn't I mean, about, it wasn't about the pool. <laughs> 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 yeah, that was one for today with this catch on when, when I got it sent in. I was like, it's just quite nice, isn't it? It's yeah, just quite pleasant I'm listening. I'm pleased with it. Delicious. Um, well done. Like, I feel like, David, if you, could, if you could somehow learn the acoustic guitar in two days and you fancied coming and singing that on stage before the Fulhamish Live, then, um, then we'd definitely take you. But um, yeah, thank you very much for that. Lovely end to the podcast today. And that's all we've got time for. Just quickly, Jack, what would you like to name the pod?
2: Okay, I'm going to go with Andrew Towner's Riverside Fulham Peerless, I think. I like it. I like it a lot. It's quite long, but I like it a lot. Is that, yeah. or was that or London, uh, Metro's cream teas, which was excellent as well. Um, but sorry, at Londinium calling, you've been edged out by Andrew,
1: Riverside, Fulham, Peerless. Very, very good. Thank you very much for all your three word reviews and for getting involved in the show. If you're coming along to the half moon on Sunday, uh, we cannot wait to see you there. Uh, things will be getting underway uh, sometime after 6.30. We're aware that um, it's the, Man City-Liverpool game at 4.30, which I imagine a lot of people will want to watch. Might not be the case if Fulham are promoted, but if we're not, I imagine a few people want to kind of uh, catch the end of that, at least the second half. So we were thinking of 6.30, allows that game to finish, allows um, anyone and everyone to hopefully make their way down to the half moon. Um, The half moon is open, by the way. There is like a separate um, like concert venue where we're going to be doing the uh, the Fulhamish Live. So if you haven't got a ticket, but just fancy coming along for a drink to the half moon, um, then you're more than welcome because the pub is open. It's not like the whole pub um, is shut. It's just a certain section for ticket holders. Um, and yeah, we cannot wait to see you there. It's going to be a really, really fun uh, event down there. And the podcast from the Fulhamish Live at the Half Moon uh, should be up early Monday by the time that uh, I wake up from my hangover and edit it. So uh, until then, uh, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. Jack, thanks for being on. Thank you very much for having me, Sammy, as always. And uh, see you on Sunday, mate. Take it easy. See you Sunday. You, you We did that in unison.
2: It was nice.